If you are new here today and have no idea who I am, my name is Will and I serve as one of the elders and pastors here at our church. And uh, this morning uh, we are continuing our series through the letter of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to please turn to Galatians chapter four. And we are going to be looking at verses 21 through 31. Galatians chapter four, verses 21 through 31. uh, 21 through 31. And if you are able, I would love for you to please stand for the reading of God's word. Galatians 4, starting in verse 21. And if you are with me, say amen. amen. Paul writes, tell me, you who desire, everyone say desire, to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Everyone say flesh. Flesh. While the son of the free woman was born through promise. Everyone say promise. promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. Rejoice. O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father God, as we come before you today, uh, we are grateful, Lord, for the fact that as we celebrate Mother's Day, Lord, we know that the reality is, is that some people are stepping into this day with a sense of joy, with a sense of celebration, with a sense of gratitude, while others might not be feeling those things. They might be feeling disappointed. They might be feeling sad, overlooked. And so, Lord, I'm not sure what all the emotions are. Lord, I know that even this morning, one of our elders texted uh, the elder group and and informed us that his mother passed away to to go be with the Lord Jesus. Lord, so the reality is is that every single one of us is in a different uh, stage, in a different season. And regardless of whether this day produces joy uh, or it produces sadness, we are grateful, Lord, that you are the God of all seasons. You are the God of all stages. And that regardless of where we are coming from this morning, God, we are grateful that your word and your work are still sufficient. We thank you, Lord, that the gospel is good news for those who are rejoicing and for those who are mourning. That the same word and the same work is sufficient for both. And the same shepherd is with us on the mountaintops and in the valleys. We thank you for that reality. And so, Lord, in light of that, I pray that as we step into this passage that actually deals with motherhood, 
I pray, God, that you would enable me, empower me to, to not say anything that doesn't come from you, Lord. I pray that if there's anything that I'm planning to say that is not from you, that you would cause me to forget it, and that the only thing that would be said is what you want me to say through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in light of that reality, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be honoring and glorifying to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lead this time, guide this time, and have it be for your glory and for our good. We ask it and we beg it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, you may be seated. Now, in this passage that we are in this morning, Galatians 4, 21 through 31, the Apostle Paul, what he is doing is he essentially is continuing the argument that he's been making throughout the entirety of the letter. And so for those of you who might be new, uh, essentially Paul is writing this letter and the purpose for writing this letter is he's writing to a group of churches in Galatia. Galatia wasn't a city, it was a region and there was numerous churches in this region. And after Paul planted the churches in Galatia, he went on to go plant more churches. And what we are told is that after Paul left, false teachers from Jerusalem showed up, known as the Judaizers. They showed up and started preaching a false gospel. And they were telling these uh, Galatian believers that essentially grace wasn't enough and, and that salvation in Christ wasn't enough. And what they needed was Jesus plus circumcision and Jesus plus rules and Jesus plus religion. And so they showed up and started preaching this, this false gospel. And so Paul, he writes this letter for, for two reasons. The, the first reason why the apostle Paul is writing this letter is in order to reveal and to expose the false teachers who were in Galatia. But the second reason why the Apostle Paul writes this letter is not just to reveal the false teachers, but to remind the true believers of the first gospel that they heard, which is the only gospel, according to Paul in Galatians chapter one. And so he writes this letter for the purpose of revealing the false teachers and reminding the true believers. And so what he does here in this section is he essentially is continuing the argument that he's making but he now is going to do it in a slightly different way. What he does here is he uses a very well-known Old Testament story. And the story is used for the purpose of showing the superiority of redemption over religion, of grace over law, of done over do or don't. You guys have heard the saying before where it says that a picture is worth a thousand words. And so he uses this picture, he uses this illustration, he uses this allegory in order to explain the difference between religion, which is what the false teachers are preaching, and redemption, which is what he preached when he was there. And so the story that he uses in order to explain and, and, and display the difference between the two approaches to God is the story of Sarah and Hagar, which is a story from the Old Testament. Now, if you are new to church and you really don't know the Bible that well, you have no idea who Sarah is, you have no idea who Hagar is. And I believe that in order for us to truly understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about here, we have to know the story, the context, the backdrop, because if not, then you won't understand the implications that he is trying to make. So the story of Hagar and Sarah actually starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. So in Genesis chapter 12, you find the story of Abraham. And Abraham was just a guy, okay? 
there was nothing special about him. He wasn't holy. He wasn't righteous. He wasn't God-fearing. He was an idol- a, a, a pagan and an idolater like everybody else, right? Absolutely nothing special about Abraham. And something that we have to be careful of when we talk about biblical characters, we do this with Noah, we do this with Abraham, we do this with David. We, we act as if there is something special about these people, and that's why God chose them. But the reality is that there's nothing special about him. He was just a guy, a sinner like the rest of them. The only difference is God decided to reveal himself to him. God decided to show him mercy and to show him grace. And so he shows up to this guy named Abraham, and Abraham was about 75 years old at the time. And his wife, who was 10 years earlier, was around 65 years old. Her name was Sarai, but would eventually have her name changed to Sarah. So he's 75, she's 65, and they have, not only are they older, but they've been barren their entire marriage. Sarah cannot conceive children. And so God, he shows up to Abraham in Genesis 12, and he informs Abraham, he says, I am going to make you a father of a multitude. I am going to make you a father of many nations. And he has him look up to the night sky and he shows him all the stars in the sky. And he says, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abraham being a curious guy tries to figure out how's that going to happen? We're old and we're barren. And he says, I'm going to give you a child through your wife, Sarah. That's what God promises Abraham, right? So that's Genesis 12. Genesis 15 rolls up, and for us, that's just a few chapters, right? Like if you're reading through the Bible chronologically, only a few chapters have gone by. But it's actually been about a decade now, and God still hasn't done anything. Think about how long a decade is. I was thinking about that earlier this week. I've been here now almost four years, okay? Add six more years to that, and that's a decade, okay? That's how math works. So that's 10 years, right? And so, so think about how long they waited. 10 years. So right around Genesis 15, uh, Abraham starts doubting. Abraham's like, what is going on? How are we going to do this, right? And you start seeing him and Sarah shifting away from trusting God to trusting in themselves. They're starting to get impatient. And so they want to try to figure out how can we help God to fulfill his promises. And so what we see is that around Genesis 15, God in his grace, he shows up again and he reaffirms the covenant to Abraham. He says, hey, I haven't forgotten you. I haven't abandoned you. I'm still going to do it. And it's still going to be through Sarah, right? So then the next chapter, we discover that even in light of the fact that God had just reminded them, they start to get impatient again. They start to lose faith again, which really, I don't blame them. 10 years is a long time, right? And we are told that Sarah, not Abraham, Sarah comes up with the idea of Abraham sleeping with her maidservant, who is Hagar, which makes sense because I don't know what husband would recommend that, right? Not, not unless you want to sleep on the couch for the rest of your life, right? Like, so, 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 so she comes up with the idea and she says, hey, I got a plan. And he's like, what is it? He's like, sleep with my maidservant, have a child through her. And legally back then, what, would, what that would mean is that would then become his legal heir. The, the, the son that he had with Hagar would become the recipient of the promise and the inheritance. That's what was legally true. And so he uh, has the relations with Hagar. They have a baby, and the name of that baby is Ishmael. They have a boy, and his name is Ishmael. And what's interesting is that's Genesis 16. In Genesis chapter 17, Abraham is talking to God again, and he's trying to convince God to change his plan. He's like, hey, God, you kind of been dropping the ball. 
So I actually came up with another solution. So how about you make him the solution instead of what you promised? And then, you know, I'm kind of your PR guy, right? Let me help you. And God says, no. God says, no, I did not promise you Ishmael. I promised you Isaac. We didn't know the name yet, but I promised you a child through Sarah. Now, here's what's interesting, which just shows the implications of disobedience, because that's what they did. They disobeyed. From Ishmael came all the, the, essentially all Arabs come from Ishmael. That's what you see when you look at the timeline. So literally the religion of Islam exists because of this decision. There's a whole group of people that exist because of this decision. So when you think about the Arab-Israeli conflict, they're, they're from the same family. It started back in Genesis. So, so it shows you that our decisions have consequences. Our disobedience have consequences, not just in this generation, but in generations that, that follow. Okay? So, so Ishmael is born. And we'll talk more about Hagar and Ishmael later on. But, but, but Ishmael is born. And, 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 and Abraham's like, hey, God, come on, man. Let's, let's just go with my plan. It's, it's already there. It's already set. And God says, no, I made you a very specific promise. So then in Genesis 18, the very next chapter, we are told that Abraham and Sarah are at their tent, which that's all they had back then was tents. And so they're at their tent and three angels show up. And one angel, according to scholars, uh, was actually the pre-incarnate Jesus. Jesus has never always existed. He's God. And so he showed up before he was born. And so one, there was two normal angels and then the middle angel was Jesus Christ himself. And so they show up at the, at, at the tent. And while they're there, uh, as Sarah goes into the tent to prepare the meal for these unexpected guests. And while they are there, God, Jesus, the angel, informs Abraham that by this time next year, you will have a child. Your, your wife, Sarah, will bear a child. Sarah is in the tent. She hears what the angel says, and we are told that she laughed to herself in unbelief, in doubt. She's heard this promise before, right? And it didn't work. But even though she laughed to herself, we are told that when she walks out of the tent, Jesus says, why were you laughing? And she's like, I wasn't laughing. He's like, yes, you were laughing. So he promises, by this time next year, you will have a child. And right, just, just how he said, we, we fast forward a few chapters, and in Genesis chapter 21, she has a child. And she names him Isaac, which means laughter. The child's name was laughter, because it's what she did when she heard the promise. And here's what's funny. She laughed initially when she heard it, Genesis 18, from unbelief. And then we are told in Genesis 21 that he was born. She laughed again, but this time from belief. So his name was laughter. So that anytime she said his name, she would be reminded of how God, what's impossible with man is possible with God, right? But the reality is because they had already made the decision they made with Hagar, Ishmael is still around. So Ishmael was around 15 years old by this time. So again, think about it. They had already waited 10 years before God reaffirmed it. And then another 15 years goes by before they actually have a child. So again, math, 25 years. They waited 25 years from the, from the moment God made the initial promise to when the baby was actually born, 25 years. Abraham was 75 when he got the initial promise. He was 100 years old when the baby was born. You know what 25 years is? That's a long time to wait. And so we are told that as, as the, the, the baby is born, 
Ishmael, the older, was mistreating the younger. And so eventually uh, Sarah gets tired of it and she tells Abraham, I need you to get rid of him. And so it says that he casted him out. And we'll come back to that. But, the, but that, is, that is the backstory. That is the backstory for what Paul is talking about here. Two women, Hagar and Sarah, one had Ishmael, one had Israel, one had um, uh, Isaac. And, 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 and what we are told is that these two women, these two children, they represent two covenants. They represent the two approaches to God. So, so that's what you see here, right? He, he's using this story as a backdrop, as context. And, 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 and the, the two women, the two kids, the two mountains, the two covenants represent two different approaches. And here's what I need you to see. And this is what Paul is arguing here. What this story reveals is that there are only two types of people in the world. In this room, there are only two types of people. Every single person here falls under one of these two categories. And these two types of people, the reason why they're different is because they are approaching God in a very different way. Two types of people with two very different approaches. And here's how you know that there's only two types of people. Because in the text, the Greek word that's used is, is in English, it's the word corresponds. But here's what the word corresponds. He says that each, there's, everyone corresponds to one of these two, two women, right? The word there corresponds in Greek means to be in the same line behind someone. Like there's a, there's a, there's a single foul line and everyone's either behind this line or they're behind this line. The word there correspond can also mean to be under the same column as someone. So there's two columns. There's the Hagar column. There's the Sarah column. And every person on planet earth, not just in this room, not just watching online, but every person on planet earth is either under the Hagar column or under the Sarah column. And so as we work through this, I want you to evaluate yourself. The, the, the point of this message is for us to evaluate ourselves because the reality is everyone here is either an Ishmael or an Isaac. In light of this, every single person in this room is either an Ishmael or an Isaac. So if you're sitting here this morning and, and, and you discover that you are an Ishmael who's never actually believed the gospel, has never actually accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, that I'm going to call you here in a little bit to repent and to believe. But if you are sitting here this morning like me and you are an Isaac who's acting like an Ishmael, I'm also going to call you to repent and believe. So according to this passage, there are four primary differences between Ishmael's and Isaac's. The first difference is this. The first difference is their origination their origination, where do they originate from? You see, because according to verse 23, what we are told is that Ishmael's originate from Hagar, the slave woman. Isaac's originate from Sarah, the free woman. So, so, so they are different, literally at, 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 at their, in their origins, they are different. Where, their, their, their births are different according to scripture. Now, here's the thing that the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that every single person who's born is born, their default setting when they are born is they are born to Hagar. We are all Ishmael's at birth. Here's why. Another way the Bible describes it is that the Bible describes us as being in Adam. And essentially what that means is, is that in Genesis chapter three, when Adam disobeyed God, his sin affected all of, his, all of humanity that came after him. So because of that, because we are from Adam, we are sinners by nature, we are sinners by birth, 
And you're like, well, that's not fair. I didn't do anything wrong. Well, the moment you had a chance to do something wrong, you did something wrong too. The moment you had a chance to sin, you sinned. And so not only are you uh, in Adam because of, by nature, but you are in Adam by choice. You are a sinner by nature and you are a sinner by choice. The Bible says that we are, sinner not, we are sinners not just in our external conduct, but in our internal condition. Every single person on planet Earth, that beautiful little child that you have at your house, every single person on planet Earth is born into sin, is born under Hagar, in Adam, in sin. In bondage, the Bible says, in slavery. That is our default setting. So if you are sitting here this morning and you have never uh, repented and believed, you have never placed your faith in Jesus as the Lord of your life and as the savior of your soul, if you've never taken that step, you are still an Ishmael. You are still in Adam. You are still under the wrath of God. That's what the Bible teaches. And you can do with, 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 with that whatever you want, but you will be held accountable for what you are being, what you're hearing that every single one of us is born into sin. We are born from Hagar in Adam, under slavery, under the law. So, so, so when we are first born, naturally, the Bible says we are born into the flesh. But in order to be made right with God, we are to be reborn by faith. That's the whole story in John 3. In John 3, Nicodemus shows up and he's talking to Jesus and he shows up at night because he's scared. He doesn't want anyone to know that he's there. He's a religious leader and he wants to know what should I, what can I do be, to be made right with God? And Jesus says, you must be born again. You are an old creation. You must become a new creation. You've been born the first time naturally. You must be reborn supernaturally. So if you, all you have done is be born physically, you are an Ishmael. The only way to be made right with God, the only way to move from one line to the other line, from one column to the other column, is by being reborn, to being born again, by being made a new creation by faith. That is what the Bible teaches. One of my favorite passages uh, to go to when I am trying to share the gospel with people, a lot of people go to John 3.16, and John 3.16 is great, but it's kind of played out, right? And I like being unique. I don't like just going through where everyone else goes. Uh, uh, my favorite passage to share when I am talking to people uh, uh, about the gospel is I like going to the, uh, the gospel of John, but I go to John chapter one, verse 12. Because in John chapter one, verse 12, it says, for all who received him, comma, who believed in his name, comma, he gave the right to become children of God. He, here's why I love that. Because that, that one verse it shows the, the, the distinction between religion and redemption. Let me, let me, let me show you why. The, the first reason is because it says that all who received him. That word is a very important word. It doesn't say all who achieved him. It's all who received him. I achieve a wage, but I receive a gift. See the difference? Ishmael's think that it's all about achievement. It's all about performance. It's all about striving. But, the, but salvation, to be moved from being an Ishmael to being an Isaac, is not an achieving, it's a receiving. It's not a wage you achieve, it is a gift you receive. That's, that's the first distinction. But, but the next distinction is that so all who have received him, comma, who have believed in his name. I love that word believed because what the Bible says is to be, to be made right with God, to move from one column to the other, you don't have to behave, 
you have to believe. See, but some of you may be here today and you think, I'm going to give church a try. As a matter of fact, I'm only here because I got dragged here for Mother's Day, right? And so if I'm going to do this church thing, it's all, I, I, I don't even know if it's for me, to be honest, because church is all about behaving. Listen, church is not about behaving at all. Not the gospel. No, gospel isn't. The gospel is not about you behaving. The gospel is about you believing. God can't, God doesn't save those who behave. Because no matter how, how much you behave, let's say that you do everything in your power to fix your external conduct. Well, in light of what we just learned that we are in Adam, you can't do anything about your internal condition. So, 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 so even if you are the best behavior of all, the only thing God accepts is belief and not behavior. And then I love the next part. It says, those who have believed in his name. It's not about believing in your own name. See, that's the world we live in, right? The world, oh, the world we live in, all secular counseling is, hey, 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 yeah, your parents did this to you and your grandparents did that to you. And there's all, these, there's all this trauma around you, but, but the answer is within you. Just look inside and you will find the answer. Listen, you can't be the answer when you are the problem. So I'm sorry for what Disney told you, but, 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 but you can't be the answer when you are the problem. So, so it's not believing in your name. It's not believing in your righteousness. It's not believing in your morality. It's not believing in your uh, perfect record because there is no perfect record that we have. It's not a believing in your name. It is a believing in his name. The only name under heaven by which we must be saved is the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, that's good news. You should tell your face. <laughs> That's what the Bible teaches. Salvation is in his name, not in our name, in his name. Not our account, his account. Not our righteousness, his righteousness. Not our perfection, his perfection. And then I love the last part. It says that for those who receive and for those who believe, you are given the right. So it's not a maybe. It's not like, ah, you know, try Christianity out and then maybe God will save you. That, that's what an Ishmael thinks. An Ishmael thinks it's all about the scales, right? If I do enough uh, uh, good stuff and the good stuff outweighs the bad stuff, then maybe one day, every other world religion says that, maybe one day you'll stand before God and there'll be enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff. There's no maybe in Christianity. If you receive and you believe, it says that you are given the right of a child. Why? Because the, the Bible says, we've, we've talked about this on Easter specifically, that when we come to Jesus, we are united with him by faith. And so we are crucified with him and we are buried with him and we are raised with him and we are ascended with him. And we are so united with him that the Bible says is as if we are a firstborn only child. Every single one of us is treated like an only child. And so we are given the right of sonship we are given the rights of adoption, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that he's done. Come on, church. If you've never heard that, and as a result, you've never believed that, you are still an Ishmael and not an Isaac. And here's the thing, though. We talked about this, though. Even for the people here who are Isaacs, our temptation, if we're not careful, is to forget we are Isaacs and start living like Ishmael's again. We, 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 we start to forget that it's a gift received 
and we start treating it like a wage that it's achieved. We, we start, for, we, we forget, because I, I know me, I, I, this, is, this is so crazy, but like I've been walking with Jesus so long now, I've been walking with Jesus for almost 20 years, that I forget how lost I was. I forget how broken I was. I forget how dark it was. And then there's, there's a part of me that thinks, yeah, I believe in his name, but I also believe in my name. Because look at me, I, I'm, I got it figured out. I'm pretty good. And, and the problem is, is that like Paul says, that it is foolishness. It is the height of stupidity when you try to perfect uh, something in the flesh that started by faith in the spirit. And, and I know for me, my temptation, and maybe this is true of you, my temptation is to forget that it is a covenant and I start thinking it's a contract. And, and one of the things that I didn't talk about earlier, when, when God shows up, we've talked about this in the past though, when God shows up in, in, in Genesis 15 to talk to Abraham and Abraham is struggling and he's like, man, it's been 10 years, you haven't done anything. One of the ways that God reaffirms and reestablishes the covenant is he tells Abraham to, 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 to take three animals and split them in half, literally two, three animals and cut them in, directly in half, break them apart. And in those days, the way you would make a covenant is, is both parties would walk through these uh, uh, torn animal pieces. And essentially what you were saying was, if I don't keep my side of the covenant, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be split in half. I'm going to be torn in two. Both parties had to do it. But what's beautiful is in the story of Genesis 15, it says that God puts Abraham to sleep. And the only person that walks through the, the, the animal parts is God. And here's why he does it. He's the only one that walks through the animal parts because what he's saying is, Abraham, if I break the covenant, this happens to me. But even if you break the covenant, this also happens to me. And sure enough, God didn't break his side of the covenant, but Abraham and his descendants repeatedly did. And so what we are told is that someone had to be broken in half. But because God put the covenant on him, God had to be broken in half. And at the cross, that's exactly what happened. At the cross, the son of God was torn in two. He was ripped in half. He was split apart, torn to shreds. Not because of anything he did, but because we were the covenant breakers. But here's the thing. Even though you are an Isaac, when you forget that reality and you start acting like an Ishmael, you start thinking that God actually made a contract with you a conditional contract, not an unconditional covenant. And you think there's a fine print and you think there's some stipulations that no one told you about. And you're like, yeah, sure, he loves me, but I got to do my part, right? And me and Pastor Drew were talking about this this week, that a lot of us, we don't treat it like a gift that God has given us. We treat it like a loan that God has given us. And the loan comes with interest rates and it comes with stipulations. And it's a good loan with good interest rates, but, you know, it's a 30 year uh, a fixed one, right? But, 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 but I gotta pay it back. And when we do that, we start falling back into Ishmael behavior instead of Isaac behavior. Listen, if you convince yourself that you started it, then you are gonna try to finish it. But if salvation is about you, then salvation is on you. So that's the first mark. The second mark or second difference between an Ishmael and an Isaac is not just their origination, is their motivation, their motivation. So if the origination has to do with the who, who they came from, the motivation has to do with their why. Why do they do what they do? They are literally different at the motivational level, at the motivation level, okay? 
Ishmael's, again, let's start reflecting, evaluating, diagnosing. Ishmael's are motivated, their why, they are motivated by a self-reliance. It's just, it's up to me. It's on me. I don't trust anyone horizontally. I don't trust God uh, vertically. It is, it is on me. They are marked by a self-sufficiency. They, they are marked by a performance mindset, an, an, achieve, an achieving mindset. And, and, and they find themselves on this never-ending treadmill and this always ascending ladder that just never stops. And I don't know if you know this, but that's exhausting. It's like a carrot at the end of a stick that you never get. And if I just get one more raise, if I just have, uh, 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 if I just get, uh, get a, one, a bigger house, whatever it is, and, and you're never satisfied, you are always empty. They are motivated by guilt. They are motivated by grit. They are motivated by striving. And what's interesting is, according to Paul, he's talking to people, get this, who desire to be under the law. You see, I think there are times where we can treat people as victims, like, oh, you know, they had no say in it. But Paul says, they desire it. They want the law. And, and I know that's true because as a believer, I still want the law. Every morning, that's my des the desire of my heart. I just want rules. I just want boxes to check. I want steps to take. I want rungs to climb. That, that, I want that. That is the desire. I desire the law. That is the, the fight, the constant battle of my heart. Self-righteousness versus Christ-righteousness. And so these people, Ishmael's, they desire to be under the law. They want to be under the law. We talked about this because religion, even though it's harder, and even though it's this really big burden to carry, it allows you to have some figment of control. Now, yeah, it's on me, but hey, I, I, at least I can play a role in all of it. Isaac's, on the other hand, are marked not by a self-reliance, but by a God-reliance. They, they, they are marked not by, uh, uh, and motivated not by performance, but by promise. They, they are motivated not by achieving, but by receiving. And in and, and, and their life, when they view their relationship with God, they don't try to find God at the top of a ladder. They, they find God at the foot of a cross. And, and the thing about Isaac's, is that they have this ability to abide and to rest. When they understand the gospel, they have this ability to abide and to rest. And something that, that hits me is I think about uh, a few months ago, I came across this pastor and he said that the reason why we as believers can celebrate the Sabbath and not just physical Sabbath, but we get to rest in the spiritual Sabbath. He's like, we, we, do, we, we, we do the Sabbath because he says of imitation, because that's what God modeled. But even better, he says, we do it because of liberation. So, so, so get this, if you look at the context of when God gives the Sabbath, God gives the Sabbath to the Israelites after they were delivered from slavery, after they were removed from bondage. And God says, I want you to rest, why? Because when you were a slave, you couldn't rest. You had no say over your time or your schedule. But you're no longer a slave now, you are a son. You are my child. So in light of your liberation, rest. A lot of us, we look at the imitation reason, but never think about the liberation reason. That I can rest because I've been liberated. I can rest because now I am no longer a slave, I am a child. I can rest in that. And you may not know that, may know this, but that is the most effective 
witness we can have to the watching world. Yes, loving one another and all that is vital. And that, that Jesus says that's one of the ways people will know we are his followers. But I would argue that a close second is our ability to rest, is our ability to not perform, our ability to not strive. Because I, I know that for me, I oftentimes find myself just as performance-based as my secular neighbors, just as anxious, just as worried, just as uh, uh, needy for approval. And I would argue that one of the most powerful witnesses we have is a gospel witness, a rest that comes from abiding, a rest that comes from not having to strive, a rest that comes from done, not do or don't. Pastor Joe, uh, who is our executive pastor here, um, we were at this uh, discipleship Q&A a couple weeks ago. We were having a panel discussion with the people who are making disciples in our church and I don't know what question was asked, but he said something that I was like, maybe it was around discipling your children. And so he has three boys and one of them actually just graduated from high school this weekend. He graduated yesterday. And they were asking him about, you know, how do you disciple your, your son? And Joe said something that really, really impacted me. He said this, he said, look, because his son is not, he's not gonna go, he's not going to college. He's actually gonna go to Nashville and he's gonna pursue a music career, right? Which a lot of parents would, 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 would hear that and be like, there's no way, not under my watch. They're going to go to college. They're going to get their degree, right? And here's what Joe said. Joe said, look, honestly, I love my son, and I can care less whether he goes to Nashville, Vancouver, California. It doesn't matter. I don't care what his job is. I don't, know. I don't care who he marries. He said, at the end of the day, the only thing I care about is did he believe in Jesus, and is he becoming like Jesus? That's it. That's it. The only thing that matters, church, is do they believe in Jesus and are they becoming like Jesus? Now, here's the thing. We can all shake our head yes when you hear this. But the same people shaking their heads and nodding their heads are the same people who will then turn around and put just as much emphasis and urgency around their GPA as their walk with Jesus. Just as much emphasis on travel baseball as their sanctification. And I love what Joe said. Joe's like, who cares? I don't care what he does. I really don't. He's like, I want him to believe in Christ and to become like Christ. And he's like, and by the grace of God, he's doing both. So he can move wherever he wants and do whatever he wants. Because the only thing that God's going to ask him about, when he stands before God, God's not going to ask him about his GPA. God's not going to ask him about his ERA. God's not going to ask him about his yards per carry. God's not going to ask him about his Awana badges. And, 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 and some of us, we're disappointed. Again, we talked about this last week. Not because uh, 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 they're not becoming, they're not being formed in, the God, in Christ's image. It's they're not being formed into your image. You want the kid with the, with the, with the white picket fence and the 2.5 kids. And, the, and, 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 and I, that, that was my plan for you. It's the only thing that matters. So parents... Don't inadvertently produce Ishmael's. Don't tell your kid with, with, with one side of your mouth, oh, yeah, yeah, it's all about grace, but, but you better go to the right college. You better marry that right person. You better make enough money because you might not live in the right neighborhoods. When it's the same level of urgency and volume for everything, you're not producing Isaacs. You're producing Ishmael's. And I think this is why, 
as we, as we think about that, as we, as, we, as we process that, we said last week that anything that is assumed by one generation ends up being forgotten by the next. And so if you assume your child, oh, they know Jesus, of course, I bring them to church every other week or every, you know, six weeks. Because, you know, we got baseball. Here's the thing. Here's what the motivation should be. And, and, and this is such a, a, a beautiful picture of what I think the difference between an Ishmael and an Isaac is. You know, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, we talk about 2 Corinthians 3. It's one of my favorite passages in all the New Testament because Paul there, he compares the old covenant with the new covenant. He compares Moses with Jesus. And he shows how uh, a redemption is superior to religion. And something that he says in 2 Corinthians 3 is he begins by talking about Moses. And here's what he says about Moses. He says that Moses, when he was up on Mount Sinai, go figure, which is the mountain we're talking about here, when he would come down from Mount Sinai, he would wear a veil. And I always thought when I read that in the Old Testament that the reason why Moses wore a veil is because he was trying to protect the Israelites. He was trying to protect them. But what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 is that the reason why he wore a veil was to protect himself. Because he said that the, the, the glow, the shine would go away and he didn't want anyone to see it go away. So he would wear the veil to protect himself. And then in that same context, Paul says, that's religion. Religion, you, you try to force it and you try to get the glow and you try to get the shine and you try to get in front of God and then it, 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 you try to muster, and, you know, do it in your own strength and eventually it just fades away. But he said redemption is different because redemption is through Jesus and, and redemption is not about behaving, it's about beholding. And he says that we now with unveiled face get to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And what's beautiful about the glory that we get from that is that it says that we go from one level of glory to another level of glory. It never fades. It never goes away. And so the way I illustrated it in the first service, and then somebody added to it and gave me an even better way of illustrating it, is he, here's what, a, here's what a, 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 an Ishmael is like, right? And I don't know about these flashlights because these seem like something you would use when you're camping, and I will never camp under any circumstances. But, but apparently there's a flashlight that you grab and like you like crank Right? Crank that thing. And you crank and you crank and you crank and you crank. <laughs> Shout out to Reggie. I don't know why I looked over at you when I said that. But um, and so, and so, right? You crank, crank, crank. And then what, what happens is, eventually, the light fades. Right? You're, you're doing it on your strength and you're just trying to, you're just trying to get, you, you manufacture your own light. And eventually, the light fades. That's what being an Ishmael is like. That's what religion is like. Here's what being an Isaac is like. An Isaac is not one of those flashlights. An Isaac is a solar panel. You just got to rest. You just got to abide. You do nothing but just sit there in the presence of God, beholding his glory in the face of Jesus. And then all the stuff in the house works because you just stayed because you didn't move. So instead of cranking and trying to earn this light that fades away just as fast as it shows up, it's just a, a, a solar, it's not even gas in a tank because that requires work. No, it's not even gas in a tank. It's just solar panel. And the more I sit there, the more I abide there, the more I rest there, the more I am transformed from one level of glory to another. Amen? Let's not try to earn what's already been inherited. Let's not try to perform for what's already been promised. Let's not try to grasp what's already been granted. 
And let's not try to achieve what has already been received. Then the third difference or distinction between Ishmael's and Isaac's is not just the who, origination, is not just the why, motivation, but it's the where, location. They are distinct and they are different in the where, which is the location. You see, according to this passage, Ishmael's are from Mount Sinai, which represents the earthly Jerusalem or the worldly Jerusalem. And then Isaac's are from Mount Zion, which represents the heavenly Jerusalem. So, so let's unpack this, this next distinction, the location. Here's, here's, what, here's what Paul's saying. Ishmael's are literally from the place, Mount Sinai, where the law was given. They are under the law. All they know is ladders. Striving, earning, working, performing. That's, that's all they know. And, and, and something that really hits me is that essentially what Paul's saying is people who are Ishmael's, people who are from Mount Sinai, people who are from the earthly Jerusalem, they have a worldly approach to life. And Paul's been talking about that over the past few weeks when he talks to us about the elementary principles. He says, hey, before you received blessedness and freedom, you were in bondage and in slavery to the elementary principles of the world. And something that we said when we were talking about the elementary principles of the world is that essentially the elementary principles of the world is the you get into it, what you put into it. You get from it, what you put into it. It's the God helps those who help themselves message, right? Which is not in the Bible, by the way right? We talked about this. It's in second, gen second exaggerations, chapter two. God, God helps those who help themselves. You know why that can't be true? It's because nobody can help themselves. So if God only helped those who help themselves, he wouldn't help anybody because we're helpless. But, but people who are Ishmael's, they don't think they're helpless. They think they can do something to save themselves, to, to, to clean themselves up, to, to make themselves worthy before God, but when they do that, they actually are falling into a elementary approach. Paul says that redemption is, is, the, is, is the deep stuff. Religion is the basic stuff, the elementary stuff, the rudimentary stuff, that's basic. Anyone who, is in, who, isn't in the, 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 who isn't in the Sarah column is in the Hagar column. Every other world religion, every other worldview is born into the, uh, the, the, the Hagar column. And they, as a result, view the world in an elementary, rudimentary way. It's all about what you do. It's all about what you achieve. It's all about what you earn. He says, though, that that is not the case for someone who is an Isaac. But let me, let me quickly say this about somebody who is an Ishmael, okay? The only way that Ishmaels can keep the Ponzi scheme going the, the only way that they can keep the, the house of cards up is by using worldly standards to evaluate themselves, not godly standards. They use horizontal standards, not vertical standards. So, so let me illustrate it to you this way. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, in, our, in our bathroom, uh, we have this uh, scale, uh, and it's a battery-operated scale, and the battery started going, I don't know, six months ago, and I'm too lazy to change the battery. So, so for about four months of those six months, when you would step on the scale, it would give you the number real quick, and then almost immediately it would go to LO, which I'm assuming just meant low battery, right? 
And so I would just, instead of just putting batteries in, I would try to look real quick and be like, ah, oh, okay, well, that's, that gives me an estimate of what it is. I'll go from there, right? <laughs> Subtract five pounds and, and I'm good. But that's what they would say, low, right? And then finally, it just eventually it died out and we still haven't changed the batteries. But uh, 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 a few weeks ago, my, my youngest, she, she, I'm in the bathroom, she's in the bathroom, and she stands up on there and she goes, oh, no. And I'm like, what? She's like, Papi, what does L-O mean? What is that? What is, am I okay? What does that mean? Right? And I'm like, me, I should have just said it. it means low battery. You're fine, but I, that's just not who I am. And so <laughs> what else is she going to talk to her counselor about when she's 25, right? <laughs> if I don't give her trauma, who will? <laughs> so instead of just telling her the truth, I was like, well, L-O means low oxygen. And I'm like, I don't know how to say this other than that's a really bad thing to have. <laughs> and she goes, oh, no. She's still standing on this thing. She's like, low oxygen? And she's so young. She's like, what's oxygen? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oxygen is something you breathe, okay? We need it to breathe. And apparently, you have low oxygen. She's like, oh, no. And so I'm about to, like, start cracking up in front of her. So I'm like, let's go talk to mom and tell her about your low oxygen problem. So, so we head out. And Lily's in, in the kitchen and she's working on her, uh, her calendar, color, you know, different color markers and stuff, because that's what security people do, right? We talked about that last week. And so she's, she's working on her calendar and I never look at it and I'm surprised by every event we have. Like, you never told me about this, right? But anyways, so that's, a, that's another sermon for another day. Um, and so I go up there and I'm like, Lil, you're not gonna, you're not gonna believe what happened. And she's like, what? I'm like, Alicia could sit on the scale. And it turned out she's got low oxygen. And Alicia's like sitting there and she's like freaking out, like pacing in the kitchen. And the moment Lily hears what I say, she turns her back and she starts cracking up like immediately, right? So about five minutes, she's convinced she's about to die. Like she just thinks it's over. I, don't, I just found out what oxygen is. I don't have enough of it, you know. So then finally, Lily made me tell her the truth, and I told her the truth, and she punched me like five times after that, and again, her counselor will have to hear about it one day. But here's what's so crazy about people who are Ishmaels. My daughter was having an emotional reaction, right? Her, her perspective was shifted by a number, by a scale that wasn't accurate, right? I had given her an imaginary diagnosis, right? And she was freaking out based on something that wasn't factually true. But the opposite can also be true. One of the things that Ishmael's do is they use scales, right? They use measurements that are super subjective. And funny enough, they always, almost tend to be things that they're already good at. Like they don't, you know, they don't measure the things they're bad at. They, they measure the things that they're decent at. And they walk around with this confidence and it's really the only way they can keep the Ponzi scheme going. It's the only way they can keep the house of cards up. They're using false scales that are given false numbers and false diagnoses. But when you stand before uh, the perfect word of God, Jesus shows up in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, hey, you think you can obey the law? Not only are you supposed to obey it at the hand level, but you're supposed to obey it at the head level and at the heart level. He says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus shows up and he sets the standard so high that nobody can reach it. And so then now all of a sudden they have to turn to him for salvation instead of inside for salvation. 
But, but Ishmael's, they love their scales. It's the only way it works. It's the only way they can keep the lie going. But when they expose themselves to the perfect law of God, they realize that their only hope is God. Here's the other thing that Ishmael's do. Ishmael's, if they are from uh, 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 the world, they're worldly, not heavenly. Ishmael's persecute Isaacs, it says here, that they persecute. Think about it. If you are a performance person who you believe it's on you, you're not going to really, you're going to be threatened by the person who's a promise person and believes it's all on God. Contract keepers are threatened by covenant receivers. They don't know what to do with grace. Because in the world that we live in, there's no such thing as grace. There's fine print to everything. There's a stipulation uh, to everything. There's a string attached to everything. And so uh, an Ishmael, even if, you, even if you're here today, you're, you're an Ishmael, you're sitting here thinking, there's no way this is true. There's no way that God can just love me unconditionally because of the work of another person. Because that's the opposite of what the world teaches. But here's what the Bible says. In order for you to move from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion, you have to make a decision about Mount Calvary. At Mount Calvary, was Jesus just a decent guy who died for really, really bad people? Or was he God who died for you? The only way to shift from Sinai to Zion is by making a decision about Calvary. And here's the thing, an Isaac is from Mount Zion. An Isaac is from the heavenly city. An Isaac, according to this passage, and even in light of Philippians, uh, in Philippians, Paul says that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that an Isaac, their citizenship, their rights, their privileges are from heaven. This is not their home. Their home is heaven. But again, I say this because I am prone to do this. We have to be careful to not try to mix religion and redemption. I am, by grace of God, I know Jesus. I am from the heavenly city, right? But, but so often I want to mix the heavenly with the earthly, the heavenly with the worthy. I want, a, I want a little bit of both. And so I, I tell people that I believe in grace alone, but really I just believe in grace a lot. And even if it's, even if it's 98% grace, it's 2% me. See, my religion is like my milk, 2%, baby. And it's grace a lot, but not grace alone. And I try to mix the two. I try to bring both together. He says they can't be both together. They can't be under the same household. He says you must get rid of the slave woman. You must get rid of religion. You must repent of it. That's so counterintuitive, church. The Bible says that not only are we supposed to repent for our rebellion, that makes sense. We are to repent for our religion. We aren't just to repent for the bad things we've done. We are to repent for the good things we've done for the wrong reasons. They cannot be under the same roof. Get rid of it. Not grace a lot, grace alone. And here's the thing. God is so good. We talked about this in Hebrews 12. There are times that even though I'm in front of Mount Zion, I drift back to Mount Sinai. Right? I, I go back to try to earn it. I, try, I go back to try to achieve it. You know what Hebrews 12 says? Hebrews 12 says that God is so good that whenever we go back to Mount Sinai and try to lean on shakable things, our money, our righteousness, our education, our family, you know what God does? It says that he brings violent shaking into our lives. Violent shaking so that we might see the things that are still shakable 
at Sinai and go back to Zion. You know, one of the, one of the people at our church, uh, she's a disciple maker here at our church. Her and I were talking the other day and she said something that really stood out to me. She said she was uh, uh, driving and she was listening to Caleb and uh, Caleb was doing their, uh, their annual, you know, giving thing, right? They were trying to raise money. So essentially it's all guilt, right? Give money because God will get you, right? And something that the lady said on the radio, she said this, don't miss it. She said, think about all the good things God has done this year. Think about how good he's been. Think about how faithful he's been and all the good, all the, the great times. After you think on that, how can you not give to God? And here's what she said that bothered her. And I felt like this was very astute. She said, it bothered me because she almost made it seem like God was only behind the good things in my life. But God is just as much behind the suffering in my life as he is around behind the rejoicing in my life. Listen, if you genuinely believe that God is only behind the good stuff, and then whenever you're going through any difficulty, it's the enemy getting you, that is a false gospel. And what I've seen in my life is that God actually uses the suffering and the times of poverty more than the times of prosperity. That our God is so good that when we start forgetting the gospel and we fall back into gospel amnesia and we start acting like Ishmael's when we're Isaac and we start going back to Sinai when we should be at Zion, he brings violent shaking into your life to reveal the things that are shakable. So that you go back to the only thing that isn't shakable, which is him. Come on, church. And then the final distinction, the final difference is their condition, their condition. Here, here's what the Bible says. It says that one woman, get this, we're talking about condition here. One woman was young and fertile. The other woman was old and barren. When it comes to the condition, it, it doesn't get any more different than that. One is young and fertile. The other is old and barren. Here's what the world would do. If the world saw this story, the world would say, well, the firstborn has to come through the young and fertile. The, 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 the heir has to come through the one who can produce in her own strength. But what we see is that the world's not the one telling the story. The Lord is the one telling the story. So God shows up and he doesn't work through the young and fertile one. He works through the old and barren one. One who was already old when he showed up and then he waited 25 more years just in case they thought they could do it in their own strength. He waited 25 more years before he worked. And Abraham and Sarah, they try the worldly approach. They're like, oh, we got you, God. Again, you help those who help themselves. So we're going to help you and we're going to take care of it. And we're going to provide you a, another child. And I'm going to try to convince you to bless our plan instead of repenting for not believing in yours. God does the exact opposite. You know why? Because there's a certain type of condition that God accepts. It's the only type. Jesus himself says it. He's like, I didn't come to heal those who think they're healthy because no one's actually healthy. Some people just think they're healthy. I came to heal those who know they're sick. Everybody's sick, just some just don't want to admit it. So, so when it comes to the condition that God accepts, God didn't come to, to, to save uh, the young and fertile. He came to save the old and barren. God came to save not those who are able, but those who can admit they are unable. God came to save not those who are alive, but those who admit they are dead. God came to save not those who are spiritually rich, but those who can admit they are spiritually bankrupt. 
God didn't come to meet you at the top of a ladder. He came to save those who are at the end of their rope. That's the only condition God receives. Which is why you see the two differences between Zacchaeus and the, the rich young ruler. Uh, uh, Zacchaeus, he, he realizes his brokenness. He realizes his condition and he repents and believes. And the rich young ruler, he's like, I kept all the law. I did all of it. What law you want to tell me about? Well, I, I obeyed that one too. And Jesus says, well, get rid of your money. And he says, I can't. Why? Because he, his God was money, not God. Zacchaeus had admitted his condition. The rich young ruler couldn't. Two wealthy men, one ended up in heaven and the other is in hell. That's what God does. Listen, and, and don't, please, because we do this so much with the Bible and it bothers me so much. This happens in almost every Sunday school. Sarah and Isaac were no better than Hagar and Ishmael. God didn't choose them because of their morality. God chose them because of his mercy. And once we can admit our condition, then and only then can we accept his salvation. Here's what's beautiful. In Isaiah chapter 54, which is the passage that Paul is quoting here from the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 54, he's talking about Sarah, and he says that Sarah will be the mother of a multitude. He says in the text, he says to rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. And what I love about that is there's another place in the Old Testament where the Bible says, hey, go, yo, you who are broke, go and spend. And you're like, how? I'm broke. That's the gospel. <laughs> it's when I admit that I am broke that I become spiritually rich. Not physically rich. God's not here to give you a, a, a yacht and a mansion. Spiritually rich. It's when I admit that I am bankrupt that I have money to spend. Spiritually because it's not my money, it's not my wealth, it's the, the wealth of Jesus Christ. And so here's what's crazy. In Isaiah 54, the, the, that, that, that passage, that, that chapter, it takes place when the Israelites are in exile. And when the Israelites are in exile, they are there because they deserved it. They, they, they sinned against God. They committed idolatry. They committed spiritual adultery. And they were in exile because they deserved it. And guess what? Once they got to exile, they kept doing the things they were doing before. There was no repentance. There was no turning back. They were still sinning just as much. And yet, in that moment of, of, of barrenness and of brokenness, God says, rejoice to these exiles, to these people that were hopeless. He says, rejoice because you will be the mother of a multitude. But here's what's beautiful, church, and I, I, please don't miss this. If, if the Israelites are in exile because they deserved it, and then in exile, they are still doing the things that led to their exile. How can God give them that blessing in Isaiah 54? The reason why God gives them the blessing in Isaiah 54 is because someone took the curse in Isaiah 53. No, 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 come on, come on, come on. That, that, that somebody had to take the curse. Somebody had to take the punishment. And in Isaiah 53, we are told that God sent a somebody and that somebody, he took the wrath and he took the punishment. He took the curse in Isaiah 53 so that his people can get the blessing in Isaiah 54. Come on, church. 
Come on. That's beautiful. That, that, is, that is the gospel, church. That is the gospel. So, so, so think about what God does. In, in, in the Old Testament, he shows up to an unexpected woman. He gives her an unexpected child. And through her brings an unexpected promise, right? Well, God, he does it again in the New Testament. He shows up to an unexpected woman, gives her an unexpected child, so that she might bring about an unexpected promise. See, but the difference with the woman in the New Testament is that she wasn't old and barren. She was young and unmarried. She was a virgin. And yet God gave her not just a Isaac, he gave her the greater Isaac. The real son of the promise. The real son of the inheritance. It's only those who can admit their condition who will receive his salvation. It's only those who can admit they are dead that he will make alive. It's only those who can admit they are barren that will become fruitful. It's only those who can admit they are hopeless that will receive hope. That's how God works. That is how grace works. And it's the opposite of what the world tells you. You see, many people here today, me, as I land the plane, let me say this. There are people here today who on Mother's Day, you, instead of feeling joy, instead of feeling happiness, instead of feeling a need to celebrate, you might be feeling the exact opposite. You might feel sad, despondent. And if you're someone here who, and we have a lot of people in our church who have struggled with infertility, you might feel, for, because of that, you might feel forgotten, abandoned, overlooked. And I would say that not only is those who are struggling with infertility, or the Bible refers to it as barrenness, but even singleness, because it says in, in, in this passage, in, in Isaiah 54, that it's not just the barren woman, it's the desolate woman, the woman who's been abandoned, secluded, lonely. So he's not talking just to the barren woman, he's talking to the single woman. Both in barrenness and in singleness, there are times where you feel forgotten. You feel overlooked. You feel abandoned. But what I need you to know is this, that your God has not forgotten you. Your God has not abandoned you. And according to uh, this passage, I'm going to read it to you because it's too good. Look, look what it says here. Look what it says here, Isaiah 54, where he says, So sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one, that's the, the, the secluded one, the abandoned one, the lonely one, the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. And then in verse 5, look what he says. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth. The God of the whole earth, it says. He is called. So it is. The God of the whole earth. The God of the entire universe sees you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. And as a matter of fact, in the story of Hagar, that woman, the other woman, it says that she gets kicked out. God is so gracious that he looks out for her as well. It says that, that, that Hagar is out in the wilderness and her and her son are about to die. And God says, I am El Roy. I am the God who sees you. 
Listen, God sees you today. He hasn't forgotten you and he hasn't abandoned you. He is not your just, get this, he's not just your provider, he's your provision. And what's beautiful about this story is that God pastors Sarah, he shepherds Sarah. In Genesis 17, 15 through 17, go read Genesis 17, 15 through 17, and you will see how many times he says the, the name Sarah. I, I will give Sarah a child, and she will give birth, and she will be the mother of mother. He says her name like, in like three verses, he says her name like, like seven times, because he sees her. And then in Genesis 18, think about it. One of the most unnecessary uh, chapters in all the Bible is Genesis 18. The first half of Genesis 18. Jesus didn't have to show up at the, at, at the tent. He could have just given him the baby because he had already promised him. But he shows up, why? Because he wanted to minister to her. Because he saw her. Because he loved her. Because he wanted to shepherd her. It's the only reason why that is in the Bible. For Sarah. And what's beautiful about Jesus is that he ends up giving her more than a child. Because we, 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 we talked about this. She was laughing in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, she goes from laughing, which is this conditional, circumstantial thing, to rejoicing. He didn't come to give her laughter. He came to give her joy. So what that means is he gave her much more than just a child. He gave her his child. Her, her ministry and her legacy and her identity are not wrapped up in the child she produced but in the child that he provided. You know that she's in Hebrews 11? A lot of people don't know that Sarah's in Hebrews 11, but she's in Hebrews 11, not because of the baby that she had, but because of the faith that she had. You can have gospel joy this morning because gospel joy is uncircumstantial joy. It is a vertical joy. It says that God showed his love for us. He displayed his love, get this, not by providing our, for our need, not by giving us the thing that we think will satisfy us. No, it says that he displayed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God already displayed his love for you. So I, I listen, I don't know if God's ever gonna give you a husband. I don't know if God's ever gonna give you a spouse. But here's what I do know. What I know is that he loves you. He is for you. He hasn't abandoned you and he hasn't forgotten you. And that is proved not by your circumstances, but by the cross. And you will, whether you have a husband or children one day, those things, if they happen, will describe you. But only he can define you. So as I summarize, let me say this. The difference between Ishmael's and Isaac's is their origination, their motivation, their location, and their condition. And the only way, the only way to move from one line to the other, from one column to the other, is by responding in faith to the greater Isaac, who took the curse of 53 so that we might get the blessings of 54. Amen.
We are so excited to worship with you today. My name is Whitney Clay, and this is Sarah. <laughs> We're so glad that you guys are here. Sarah, I'm excited to be hosting with you today and just yeah. talking about God's Word. It's been so, so good. Uh, service was so good just oh, to yeah, for sure. <laughs> sit under this message. Mm -hmm. And um, we're so glad that you're joining us today too. And so however today finds you and whoever you're worshiping with, we're so glad that you're here and pray that as we talk through these things, maybe the Lord will stir up something in you and remind you or comfort you, challenge you, convict mm -hmm. you with his mm -hmm. word. And uh, we would love to know what you're learning. And so tell Katie, she's moderating for us today. And so she'd love to chat with you, hear about where you're from and know too what the Lord is teaching you. And then there's a QR code um, above Sarah's head. And so Yay. you can pull out your phone and scan that through your camera and click that link. Let us know where you're watching from and how we can resource you and come alongside you as you do church at home. Mm -hmm. But we're so glad that you're here. And so we're going to jump right into it. Uh, Sarah, do you want to start off rereading the passage? We're in Galatians uh, chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Yes. It says, tell me who... Tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Mm. So after reading this passage... Whitney, what is something new that God taught you today and did it comfort, convict, or confront you? Yeah, I love this passage. And I think um, we were kind of talking about it earlier. It's so interesting to be able to sit in this and kind of mm -hmm. see the approach. And as Pastor Will unpacked, looking at Ishmael and at Isaac and just the characteristics of each one of those, yeah. um, I was just reminded of like God's sovereignty over the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. But also just the control that I try to have when I try to bring my own efforts into the situation and how I am Isaac, right? Mm -hmm. Like I know mm -hmm. Jesus, I've experienced salvation. Um, but in that sanctification process, even I'm so quick to forget my yep. identity and yep. quick to forget the gospel and quick to run back to Ishmael and to earning and to striving and to trying to prove. Mm -hmm. And that's so, so uh, difficult. It's a daily reminder for me to like rest in the gospel and to yes. live from the gospel instead of trying to earn it or prove or strive. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that was just a big reminder for me today. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and I would say the same thing, which uh, Winnie and I are similar in personality types, like the more that I've conversed with her about things. And so it, it's difficult for me too, because I have to remind myself like multiple times throughout the day. And yeah. it, it's so hard to, um, to not fall back into. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, it, it, 
what's reassuring to me is God gives me grace and knowing yes. that, you know, we are still sinful mm-hmm. people. And though we sit, you know, like Will said, and you just m- mentioned, um, we sit in the place of Isaac. Once we are believers, um, God gives grace for when we fall back to Ishmael. Yes. Praise um, God. Yeah. Yeah. So I was really comforted in knowing that and being reassured yeah. of that. Um, so yeah, that's that's good. And he kind of took that as he unpacked it for these like four differences, these four uh, differences between Ishmael and Isaac. And he mentioned like origination, motivation, location, and condition. Mm-hmm. And so in what area are you most tempted to forget the gospel and behave like Ishmael? <laughs> if we really dive down deep. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, honestly, I could put myself in all four buckets. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest one for me right now is condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this, um, Will talked about how the conditional differences between Hagar and Sarah. So Abraham, after they waited for, oh gosh, I already forgot the timeline in like 15 minutes. Um, I think, so Will said the full spectrum of everything was 25 years, yep. right? Yep. And then 10 years, 10 years in, they went to Hagar, their slave woman, and um, Sarah told Abraham, to get her pregnant so they could have the child. Cause like Will said, they were just helping God out. Yeah. I find myself doing that a lot. I'm kind we of just helping <laughs> you. Um, and she got pregnant with Ishmael because they knew that she could get pregnant still. They had gotten to the point of desperation, mm-hmm. I would say, 10 years in saying, you know, God, where are you at? And I would agree 100%, like, over a hundred percent with Will when he said sometimes he doesn't want to wait longer than 25 minutes for stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and something that I say a lot, like just in conversation with people is like a struggle that I have with where we live in society now is we're such a microwave society. Yes. Why do you want to wait on an oven if I can zap some food and have it hot in a minute and a half? Um, and that, that is a difficulty for me in any facet of life, you know, God, I don't really think you can do it because I'm not getting it immediately, Mm. but that is ingrained in me because it's what society around me shows me. Um, And God operates differently than the world. Yes. (laughs) And that's something that we have to learn as believers. Um, And uh, we're in this world, but not of this world. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so for me, I would say um, condition for sure. Um, and something that we talked about before when we were discussing before we, um, came on air was, um, Isaiah 53 will Mm -hmm. talked about and how, um, God through Isaiah prophesied of the sacrificial servant. Um, and then Isaiah 54 where the Israelites are in exile and that's where that, that piece um, that Paul quotes here says, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Yeah. Um, that Israelites can sing again because of the sacrificial servants. Yes. So, yeah. Which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love that. And mm-hmm. I love how all of scripture points to, to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And the gospel and the goodness of it. And I think I'm like you a little bit. I could fit in all four of these, but the one that stuck out to me the most was probably motivation um, because I'm so quick to fall back into let me achieve, let me perform, let me hold up my end of the bargain. Mm -hmm. And how uh, Pastor Will said, like, we forget the covenant and we live like it's a contract. So it's like, I have to keep my end of the bargain. I have to do this. Whereas on the other side is true rest and 
just abiding and mm-hmm. receiving and mm-hmm. living from that place of assurance and from the gospel and from the good news. And there's so many times where I don't do that, you know, and even what he said about the Sabbath, like how it's oh, yeah. liberation yeah. and, you know, just imitation. Like we've been set free. We don't have to strive and we don't have to prove, but yet mm-hmm. how quick I am to forget the gospel and to run back to that. And, um, one of the things I wrote down that kind of stood out to me was when he said, like, we settle for lesser idols instead of Jesus because we aren't trying to get to the Father. Like, we're really just trying to get to religion or to achieve or to the next thing that we think. And kind of like what you said with society, like we're pointed to all these little G gods and all these Mm -hmm, little idols mm -hmm. and we forget to chase after the father and um, just to rest in him and believe in him. And that was so convicting for me today. I'm like, Lord, I'm so quick to turn back to what I think I need to do and and hold up my end of the bargain, which I really can't because I don't bring anything to the table. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned the, the Sabbath thing because even Friday night, I was praying with Lynn, and I was like, God, the weekend is coming, and I can't wait for the time off and to go to church Sunday and things like that and and do things we need to do, but help me to remember to rest Mm. because I'm one of those people that wants to do, do, do to achieve. Yep. Um, But we are able to rest now because... Yes. We can, not because we have to under the law anymore. That's exactly right. Maybe let it, Katie know what you're struggling with. If there's an area of like, maybe you're like us, you could fall in all four of them. <laughs> yeah. um, but share with the people around you too, if you're gathered with someone as well, tell them kind of what you're, what the area we need help in to yeah. remember the gospel. <laughs> okay. And then the next question is in verse 28, Paul writes that all followers of Jesus are children of the promise, but what does being a child of the promise actually mean? Mm-hmm. And how should that change the way we view and approach life? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful like reminder when in that verse, like we're children of the promise, like and how he talked about, um, I think he mentioned like John 1, 12, like again, the children, like we're brought in. That is like who we are. That's our identity. And like, that's only through Christ. Like, and that to me is that reminder of like, I don't bring anything to the table. There's nothing good enough in me. I can't strive enough or prove enough. And yet I need that reminder daily, Mm -hmm. like that it's already done. It's already finished. And I get to live in light of that. Like now I get to live in light of the gospel, not to earn, you know, or not to prove or to strive, but because of the goodness of my father. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm so quick. um, Like you said, it's a daily, like moment by moment reminder. I forget his goodness and his grace and his kindness toward me just to be able to rest in that and Mm -hmm. praise God that I don't have to do that. And that his mercies are new every morning. So when I forget, he's still faithful. Yeah. Yeah. Remind me. Yeah. Yeah. And when he did the closeout too, um, he talked about God is the provider mm-hmm. and provision. Yes. And so I think that's something like conceptually so hard for us to understand. And I think that's kind of like the continual complexity of the Trinity that we have to try to understand is how, you know, through the Father and then how through the Christ, how, you know, each person of the Trinity matters so much mm-hmm. because Christ restores us and then the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. And that is how. God is all of those things for us that um, it's not like a parent where you give the rules and you have to be the rule follower. Right. Um, And it's just something so difficult, I think, for us to understand. Um, Yes. But, you know, that's why he's God and we're not. Yeah, but he's both of those things. And I love too, like, 
uh, something he said, he talked about Sarah and Isaac and how they were chosen by God's mercy. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. think like that's a big theme in this whole passage is like the mercy of our Lord and his kindness toward us. And it's just beautiful to be able to be reminded of that today. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that my heart needed that reminder. (laughs) And so um, I pray for you today that God has reminded you of his goodness and his faithfulness and his kindness and that we our children, we can be children of the promise, like brought in through the salvation through Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins. And so for you today, maybe you're, you're, you know, Jesus, you're an Isaac, but you've been living like an Ishmael. Like yeah. we need to repent of those things and confess those things and ask God to help us live in light of the gospel. But maybe you are an Ishmael and you've been trying all along to strive and to prove and not to rest in, in what God has promised. And so if that's you today and you're struggling with that and you want to know Jesus and you want to know what that's like, Uh, please reach out to us. Talk to Katie, click the QR code, send us an email, do something and let us know how we can come alongside you uh, because that's the best decision Mm -hmm. that you'll ever Mm -hmm. make. And so we want to help you do that. And I pray that the rest of your conversations today are fruitful. I pray that you guys have a great Mother's Day. Uh, If you're in the area, we would love for you to join us here at our Memphis location or our Carrieville location. Uh, But we also love for you guys to just continue watching Church at Home as well. And so we'll see you right here next Sunday. Bye guys. Thank you.